Welcome to the Spit It Out podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Avi Robbins. We are bringing you engaging discussions with thought leaders from academia and industry as we explore everything from what's in your saliva to why it's a good indicator of your overall health. Join us as we raise awareness around what saliva can tell us, why it's important for the future of healthcare, and what some really awesome people are doing about it today. Today, I'm excited for the first time on our podcast to host two guests. I'm joined by Kat Holloway and Dr. Diana Domek, both from TCAN and IBL International. I met Kat and IBL's head, Dr. Dagmar Kasper, last year and was impressed with the work they're doing to develop and commercialize saliva-based assays. They're staying on top of the research and market trends in this field, and I'm excited to share some of their knowledge with our listeners. Kat Holloway is a reagents account specialist at TCAN and focuses on supporting labs with immunoassays and antibodies. She describes her path into life sciences as a meandering one from insurance and marketing to biotech and life sciences. While not a scientist, Kat has always had a deep love of learning and exploring. She finds purpose and enjoyment in working with life sciences colleagues and customers that are pushing the final frontiers in medicine and science. As a lifelong learner, Kat finds excitement in discussing immunoassays and ELISA projects with her customers as they partner to scale healthcare innovation. Also joining us is Dr. Diana Domek. She's a product manager at IBL International in Germany, which is a TCAN business. Diana was always curious and interested in sciences and knew very early what she wanted to do, become a scientist to understand how things worked. I can definitely relate to that. Her studies focused on biochemistry, microbiology, and genetics, and she received her PhD in Germany, but also studied abroad in Utah, here in the United States. After her PhD, Diana moved to the U.S. for three years to work as a postdoc in Minnesota. Afterwards, she decided to move back to industry and back in Germany to get back into biotechnology. Dr. Domek loves to talk science and demonstrate how relevant it is in your daily life, and not the unwanted, too complicated subject you stayed away from in school. Please join me in welcoming both Kat and Diana to our podcast. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks so much, Avi. It's great to get to connect. (laughs) Well, let's dive right in. Maybe I tried to give the audience a little bit of intro into your background. Maybe you can each just give us a quick hello and intro and then explain to us the difference between TCAN and IBL International and how that came to be. Sure. I'm happy to. I'll jump in and let Diana be the star of our cast. So for me, I've landed in a lot of different spots. Most recently, I was doing some biotech and fluid handling on more of the like gaskets all the way to single use. And then that transitioned really nicely into what I'm doing today, which is working with customers as they're finding chemistry and working with their lab menus and kind of research projects to figure out how do we find the missing piece or how do we find a kit or a solution that goes in the same direction that we're trying to find. So I'll I'll let Diana introduce herself. Awesome. Thanks, Kat. So yes, thank you, by the way, for the nice introduction. (laughs) (laughs) So let's unpack the two questions, actually. So first of all, what do I do now and how does it differ to what I was doing before? So before I was mostly working in the lab pretty much what you imagine a scientist is doing all day. (laughs) Just like the pictures, transferring liquid from one test tube to another, mixing some things together. Exactly. Mostly transparent, (laughs) standing in front of the centrifuge waiting. But always you also think about the bigger picture. What you do actually brings meaning to 
either to your subject or to people. And this is what I think is also very similar to what I do now. Okay. Still, it's very science-oriented what I do. I'm in contact with the customer so much more. So I not do experiments for advancing my own work only, but now I also develop a lot of things which are directly influenced by the user. So this is pretty nice. Yeah. It's still very science-oriented, so I like that a lot. And Tegan and IBL International might be very confusing, but actually Tegan has the instruments, the automation, and IBL International has the agents. So it made perfect sense in 2014 that I kind of married, <laughs> and now they are kind of, we are Tegan. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I think everyone would recognize TCAN as the liquid handling automation yes. expert. And like you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, IBL having a, a lot of background in immunoassays, right? And I think being testing for saliva for a long time. Can you mm -hmm. maybe help us understand your background at IBL and how long you've been working with saliva? So IBL has quite a long history of saliva. This is a very started out as a very niche project, but this is also what we are kind of known for. We have a lot of niche uh, products. And I think it started in 1999 uh, with saliva, so way before I joined. So I'm <laughs> part of the team and happy to be that as a product manager for almost three years. Awesome. So this is also when my time with saliva started. Before, I actually, to be honest, I didn't know that you can measure so much with saliva. It's very fascinating to see that it started back 20 years. So we have so much experience with this matrix, but for most people, it's still quite new. Yeah, I think one of the things I'd love to dive in and explore with you both today is some of the benefits of saliva and why it's now becoming more mainstream. I would agree there's literature that goes back quite some time that explains the benefits and the use of saliva and tests like cortisol, right, that have been demonstrated for quite some time. But what are the benefits that you see and you know, why now it's becoming more mainstream? Sure. I'll jump in and then let Diana come in with the follow-up for sure. So something that has been interesting, I've been with TCAN a little bit under a year, but again, love to learn. So it hit the ground running and, and get to work on some really cool projects with customers and prospective labs. And I think it's kind of a two-piece oftentimes. So we've got the familiarity that the general population has with saliva as a sample type from COVID, which you guys with your different podcasts and guests that you've had on your show have discussed at length. And I think one of the huge benefits with saliva as a sample type is how non-invasive it is. So Definitely. I was listening to a stat from someone the other day, and I think it's between 20 to 30% of people that have a lab test prescribed for serum or plasma or something like that will never show because there's the needle phobia. It could be just like it's hard to make time to go into the lab. So I think one of the pieces that makes this matrix and, and sample or testing options so attractive is you can get that much closer to the customer or the patient or the person you're trying to help mm -hmm. fill in that piece in their healthcare journey. I think it's interesting that you know, when you mentioned accessibility and, you know, I oftentimes speak of the phobia, right? And the fear of needles and how that really prevents people from getting healthcare. But there's another angle that you brought in there on convenience, right? And just not having to leave your house to drive to a collection center, really with what people expect today can really make a big difference in people getting the diagnostic care that they need. It's a great point. Definitely. 
No, and it, it's crazy too in the world of DoorDash and Amazon and I want it now or I can get it to my house. Like it's amazing the parts of our kind of social structure where that's lagging. And I think that's part of why this sample type is really picking up in popularity is mm -hmm. there's such an opportunity for labs to be able to get ahead and be able to kind of meet in the middle with a very scientifically supported solution for what customers expect in every other aspect of it's, their lives. It's so true. In Germany, they are very prominent with saliva. It's very well established. Not only in research, it was established there for a long time for certain diseases, like diagnosing Cushing syndrome. So there, it's really the matrix you should use because of this obvious benefits Kat also mentioned. But in the US, there's also a huge opportunity for labs using saliva and customers expecting that mm -hmm. you can offer that to them because they know about the advantages. And also for patients, like if you think of children or seniors, so much easier if you don't prick them with the needle, but tell them, oh, you can also at home collect your sample so that they feel not that stressed as well. Because if you think of research and you want to collect samples and want to measure cortisol as an indicator for stress, you put people already under stress if you tell them that you want to draw blood. Oh, that's a good point. The test itself can uh, interfere with itself. And also, if you want to kind of have a curve, for example, you want to have a lot of samples Absolutely. for a certain amount of time, you can easily have multiple samples with Out the person being too stressed because find a vein to collect even more blood. It's kind of not very nice. Right. So we've seen saliva traditionally, as you mentioned, on the market for some time, but traditionally in the wellness space, right? And I mean, maybe preventative space. How do you see that today? Is that still where saliva is prevalent? Do you see it moving in other directions? I would pretty much say it's still very much the case that it's in the wellness, well-being sector, but not in a negative way. I think it's really nice that we see a trend that people want to educate themselves. They kind of go to the internet and maybe have already symptoms, feel misunderstood by their traditional doctor, their physician. So they kind of think, okay, there is something I really want to check up on. And then they lean towards these kind of tests. But on the positive side as well, it's becoming more mainstream also and more accepted that it's not this kind of niche product and more in the not so scientific backed version, I would say. So this is really a good trend. I'm really happy to see that. Okay. And I would say too, even from like a more a health provider or lab that's connected to like a health system or things like that, I have been having more and more conversations with lab groups that are focused on preventative medicine. Okay. And I think that's, and we came out with a white paper a while back just talking about salivary di diagnostics is coming closer to the clinic. And it's that idea, like integrative medicine providers have been like honed in on this space for a really, really long time. But I think the gap between popular knowledge of like just the broader people and patients and then doctors who maybe serum is their default and may not think of this automatically, I think that the gap between that and then what the 
integrative and preventative medicine providers have been leaning into for a while, I think we're going to continue to see a big trend towards that solution. I very much agree with what you just said, Kat, that also this is very consumer driven. So most of the time, I would say even patients are, not to say that very negatively, but better informed about what's out there with what is new. Right. And they asked also their physicians if that is something they can do that instead of serum also provides saliva. So I think this is really true. So if you had to say, like, what can we do? You know, one of the purposes of our podcast is to evangelize, right, the use of saliva <laughs> right out there and help promote the usefulness of it as a sample type. So I'd like to ask our guests, what do we need to do to help as an industry help move it forward? And it sounds like it's already getting out there in the direct to consumer space, right, where people are trying to get access to their own health information by doing these perhaps saliva tests that are offered online. But when they go to the doctor, there's a great benefit of connecting this information so that they can use it as part of the like, holistic care. Mm -hmm. And so is that a step that we can take or need to take right, to bring the primary care system right forward with saliva so they can prescribe more, not necessarily more tests, but the right tests that people will go take to your point, Kat, that, that are convenient and accessible? Or if not that, what would you say is the gap and how can we help close that? I think that's definitely a piece and, and a really good observation. I think some of that's going to happen naturally, but I also feel like as individuals outside of TCAN world, like sure. I've thought about this, the more I've learned about it, like the ability, like we all, especially as Americans deal with stress and burnout and how do you manage your kind of work-life balance and things like that. So like even coming to your provider and being like, hey, like, do you have access to these tests? But then there's also more scientifically like CLIA labs that are tend to be independent. They're fully vetted and regulated that are doing, they're validating all their tests and they have a lot of science right. and smart people looking at the results. Oftentimes you can go to your provider and say, hey, like, do you have an option to order these tests? And I think from the direct patient and consumer side of things, that's one option. And then I can also see like similar to how you have like a blood drive through a company or you have kind of employee perks, especially in the US, that's very popular. I could see that kind of wellness testing. It's it's almost like somebody was describing as a fishing expedition and wellness. If you have to be poked and have your blood drawn is a very different experience than like, oh, I can I can donate some saliva in a tube and then it'll look at a couple of things and maybe it'll give me a direction of like, I want to improve this area or kind of make some adjustments on your current trajectory. It's a really interesting idea, you know, almost you could do it at corporate level, right? With a wellness day, but you could almost have a community wellness, you know, fair. There's oftentimes, you know, local farmers markets and other community-based events, right? That you could really use to promote wellness. And with saliva as a sample type, it would be so easy to hopefully engage people in that. It's a really great thought. I think there are always two parts of this. It's the awareness and the education. So, of course, we are in this bubble and we know about saliva. So we know that is actually an option and we tend to most of the time interact with people who are mm -hmm. also know about this. But because I think it started out very niche and it's more like the wellness sector, we have to kind of push through that and make it known better and then also educate formal physicians, so traditional medicine, that this is something very established. There are multiple papers also validating that saliva is 
a really good matrix with a lot of benefits to measure traditional analytics. Absolutely. And I think there's plenty of people that are continuing to research it today. So that the more that we can get those publications out there, I think the better. Certainly, as we talk to some of our guests, we hear that quite a bit, you know, more scientific evidence to create the correlations right between a serum measurement and a saliva measurement, because they're often both available. One's not right or wrong. They're just different. So it's important that we can understand how they're different and why and, and what you're trying to measure. Right? Yes, exactly. That is true. When we think about, you know, just thinking through that community involvement, we saw a lot of that happen during COVID, right? Community testing and getting out the, the vaccines, for example, right? A lot of that happened through community type events. How did you see that impact perhaps your business or even saliva as a sample in the way that you at TCAN and IBL interact with your partners out in industry? So kind of the impact that COVID and that community-minded kind of direction impacted the TCAN IBL? Yeah, either did it have an impact on your business or did you see COVID have an impact on the way your partners engaged in saliva testing, perhaps? Yes, definitely. Because a lot of people tried also to use saliva then as a matrix. You had also tests for people to test at home. So they, everybody kind of had to go through that experience to have a test and do that at home. And some tests were also saliva-based. So this was definitely where the awareness uh, for saliva came from. And people were looking at it differently. So people not in the industry kind of knew that this is possible. So this is exactly what we want, right? We want people to know about this. Became more aware. Yes, definitely more. Sure. We definitely had to grow. Did you see in Europe, Diana, consumer-driven you know, push for saliva testing? People asking for it? I'd be curious to understand, unfortunately, in the US, there were no rapid tests approved for saliva. How did you see that differ in, in Europe? And you know, what was the primary method for saliva? This development was so quickly that we were able to, to get tests. We could either use at home or even go to a facility for free. So it was very governmental supported. So yeah, testing was basically free. Sure. You could get tests everywhere for very cheap. So our home testing devices are like two euros. This was such a difference to the US. And we were testing like at the office also oh, wow. before every time we went in <laughs> and still we are provided like two tests per week. So we really tested regularly. Very often we were not afraid, I think, to test also okay. because there were not severe consequences. And also people got comfortable with self-testing quite quickly, I would say. That's great. Yes. Would you say most people were using you know, rapid tests or I think it was a pretty big split in the US. A lot of the you know, free distributed tests were rapid, um, but there's quite a bit of collection sites, right? Where you could go and get a nasal sample or saliva in some cases, and then go to the lab for PCR. Yes. So here in Germany, you could also get the PCR test after a positive rapid test. So, and then it was also, you didn't have to pay for that. Because the PCR tests are a little bit more expensive. So okay. that was also not the problem. And as far as 
not very time consuming for us. So you could go online, book an appointment and then go there for testing and be back. And this was like, depends how much time it takes to go to the facility. Very rapid. Yeah. So I know for me, there were a couple of times, especially like some of this was what boosters and things like that, but sometimes trying to, to get a confirmation test, it would take a long time for just availability of being able to to do that, which definitely improved, but it was, it was an interesting period of time. Yeah. Certainly in the beginning, it could take a week to get your results, but I think I was impressed by, you know, can't recall exactly how long into the pandemic, right? But Certainly after some time, you, you saw the number of labs being able to do it and the, the amount of capacity available rapidly increasing. And I think that made a very big impact for sure. Yes. We also had like a podcast in Germany where they discussed the news every week. So if you wanted to be informed and also maybe not feel so anxious about what is happening, because it's like very scary. So I also appreciated this, but of course it was very science-based, so not everybody appreciated this kind of information. <laughs> no, I think in general, right, COVID brought about this connection to the consumer, right, and understanding the science a little bit more, right, and, and having a choice in the test type. And I think that's a great thing, right, for people to understand you know, what's available to them a little bit better so you can make some better choices. And perhaps as you both are suggesting, draw that connection between the patient and healthcare a little bit more closely. You're so right. That is so true. I think a lot of people kind of saw how science actually works. Also that like there's a hypothesis and then we think it's this, but then one week later, no, it isn't actually because look at the data. So I think this was also very interesting for many people because everybody was in it because the pandemic happened to everybody. <laughs> to everyone. Yes. It was a, a great equalizer for sure. Maybe switching gears a bit, you know, one of the areas that I know uh, TCAN focuses on is endocrinology. You know, certainly not the only area, but that, that can cover quite a bit. Maybe you can give us a little highlight on you know, what endocrinology is to you and TCAN. You know, what are some of the areas that you're covering and focusing on in saliva perhaps? So I would say endocrinology for us, it is our oldest portfolio that we offer. We've got really extensive ELISAs, luminescence kits. Our core saliva offering is there. And then we also even have radioactive kits, which is funny when I talk to labs sometimes where people are like, they're still doing radioactive kits. And somebody was telling, I think it was Dagmar, who's the general manager for TCAN IBL. She was like, people have been telling me for 20 years that it's going away. But I think there are certain areas where it does make sense for it to be the gold standard. But we're talking about saliva today. So that's, that's a conversation for another time. I would say, I think kind of the three big pillars, and I, I would even put like four, there's a lot of overlap within them, but I'd say the big kind of areas that we see saliva being looked at is definitely going to be stress, got women's health, men's health, and then especially in the U.S., but also globally, sleep, sleep studies has gotten really popular. Melatonin is a really interesting marker and in just kind of looking at a lot of different things. So like with stress, you've got the more scientific kind of side of things like Cushing's where you've got a really big imbalance of cortisol. I know for me, again, we talked about earlier, like the U.S. can oftentimes have such a go, 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 go. You're just putting in 
like a high level of effort all the time. And one of the things with kind of stress and endocrinology and the way that our hormones work, if you're always putting in that 100% or that 80% and your body is in this like flight or fight all the time, over time, you're going to have a downward curve where your ability to respond can be dampened. You could say you're in a stressful situation where you have to make some critical decision making. You can be affected by brain fog and things like that. So, (laughs) I mean, the more I learn about it, just in conversations with Diana and the team and customers, I'm like, oh, I should get my cortisol checked more out of curiosity. And again, it goes back to preventative or kind of whole health. I think there's a big focus on that, but like thinking about like, okay, how do I measure, am I getting close to burnout? Because being able to recover from burnout and kind of reset your hormone system is really hard. So it's like, okay, where am I today? What can I do? And kind of thinking through and having specific scientific numbers, because I know a lot of times you you get on your phone, you do some doctor Googling, (laughs) which is not always a great thing, but having something that's like data-based and then have like a clinician or provider who can look through that with you and kind of help come up with a plan can be really nice. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I would only add to the list maybe sports. Sports is now also quite a field of interest where you would like to measure hormones as well. Endocrinology, of course, huge field. But mostly if we talk saliva, it's the steroid hormones we are looking at. But also if you think of thyroid diseases, this is also something you would like to be interested in. But for uh, sports, testosterone is really an you would check. Okay. Cortisol also and DHEA because for athletes, it might be interesting for their performance when they should take a day off and relax because they shouldn't train every day at 120%. They also need this kind of day off in between. So this is what I would add. And for women, they start to be interested, I would say, either... If they want to get pregnant, so they check their estrogens and their progesterone level, or if they have like a abnormality, like a disease, then they also check maybe for testosterone. Also, if you think of PCOS or so polycystic ovary syndrome, I think this got also a minute of fame in last time because a lot of celebrities also claiming or have kind of a problems like this. Okay. So we here we also have, again, this awareness factor, which is uh, really driving also the Dr. Gulling, I guess. <laughs> right. I have a, a lot of questions about this space. Maybe I'll mention two and we can perhaps dive into them. One is around IVF, right? I wonder, you know, talk about inconvenience, right? Having to go to the doctor's office perhaps daily to have your blood drawn to check for some of these analytes to really understand how your body's working in the best time um, to improve success. Love to dive into that with you. And perhaps it's related to some of the conversation around uh, serum versus saliva in these female hormones. And I think there was a great blog article on your website posted about, mm-hmm. you know, blood versus serum, right, specifically mm-hmm. versus saliva and the difference in the active, you know, hormones and steroids like I mentioned earlier, not necessarily one is right versus wrong, but you're measuring two different things. And where saliva could be an advantage, perhaps in telling you what's happening now versus what happened in the past, right? Are those related? And is there something that we can learn about about how that, about that or how that could be applicable to 
in vitro fertilization as an example? Definitely. And it's interesting too. So very relevant. And I think as you think about the U.S. and just as people have children later, it can be harder. So there's been a huge increase in interest in that specific kind of help for families to have kids. And I think that's one of the big applications that we see. I think providers are still, it is a mix of who is leaning into that and who's not. And I think we'll continue to see more of that coming out of COVID. But we think about it. So you've got like for a cycle, generally, you usually have between like 27 to 30 days. And if you want to take multiple samples, seven different days, you're not going to want to drive into the clinic or things like that. So being able to either have like a one day you measure a whole bunch of hormones and you can have a very like snapshot of time, that's really critical. But then also being able to kind of see if you can pinpoint because even stress and all of the different hormones and steroids are very interconnected. So having a bit more of a a whole picture for that can really make a difference. And I think it is something that we see. And one of the customers that we work with was talking about just that thank you note from a customer who had gotten some women's health testing. They weren't able to have a baby. And then after a while working with their provider, they were able to have a baby. And I think that's what makes this job exciting and meaningful to me is on the other side of every test. And I think in science and just in life, it's easy to forget about the why. And at the end of the day, somebody is trying to figure out how to improve their life or their health, or they have a problem that they don't know how to pin down. And I think saliva is a huge part of kind of chasing down more of the details that they may not have today. It's true. But I think Even if you are not sure if you want to undergo IVF, I think for a lot of women, it also helps to at least have the cycle mapping so that you kind of know when you ovulate, if you also ovulate and how you can maybe see what your cycle looks like. If there are irregularities which prevent you from getting pregnant, maybe also educate them and make them less stressed or feel anxious about it if they see what it looks like for them and maybe kind of help them that they have this idea before they undergo IVF maybe to kind of see. But also I think what is not much talked about is on the other side, like menopause. If you have this decrease of um, hormones, it's not considered a disease and it isn't, but it's definitely not talked about enough. So kind of a lot of women go through that and feel really bad, but are told by doctors, oh, this is just kind of a couple of years and you just have to deal with it. But actually it isn't. So I think this is also something which needs to be pushed more into the limelight and not something women have to endure all by themselves. Yes, actually, there's a lot is available out there, right, to understand, mm-hmm. you know, that period yeah. of your life a lot better, right? And to be able to take corrective action versus accepting it as, you know, 
the reality, right? Yeah, this is the way it's always been. So let's leave it alone, which it's nice to see, especially as researchers and people that care and advocate for this space are really pushing that. And Diana, too, I think it would be great to kind of if you could go into a little bit more about the difference between serum salivas and hormones in serum saliva, like both sample types for the listeners. Yeah. It's very true. So the matrix by choice on the traditional one is blood. You can measure basically everything in blood and saliva, as we know by now, latest, that you can do a lot as well. So the question, I guess, for a lot of people is, so why didn't we before? Why we use blood? Mm -hmm. But we also have to think of them very differently in case of what or regards of what we measure. So in blood, you have basically everything. You have different fractions. If we talk about steroid hormones, there's a, a free fraction and there's a protein-bound fraction. And the protein-bound fraction, so the um, there's a protein binding the steroid, and this fraction is inactive, so it's not available to the body. But the free steroid fraction is available for the tissue. So there's then some interaction happening. So both of them you have in blood. and Theoretically, I'm also simplifying here. It's saying this is only two fractions. Okay. Theoretically, you can measure both separately and also calculate. And what is the beauty of saliva is that we only have the fraction we want to measure. We only have the free fraction. And this is the biologically active one. This is the concentration you actually want to know because this is what the body is working with. And this is the case because of biology. So this is really nice because we have membranes in our body and the saliva enters the mouth only through the membrane, but the membrane has pores and the pores are not big enough for the bound fraction, so the little steroid and the big protein to pass. So you naturally only have the free fraction you want to measure. So in saliva, you don't have to take care of what you measure. If it's free or bound up, you only can measure one. Except that you have to treat your samples correctly. If you, for example, before collecting saliva, floss a little bit too hard and you have bleeding, then actually you destroy the membranes on all the cells and blood is entering also the saliva. And if you have a blood contamination, then you have everything in there. So this is also something, there are some things you should avoid or take care of when you work with saliva. The handling is a little bit different sure. than blood. But yeah, and basically this is also the greatest advantage. Yeah, I think saliva, right, is so easy to get, mm -hmm. right? Because it's very accessible. But it is a very easily adulterated, and it is the way to put it, right? Because so many things go into your mouth throughout the course of the day. I think it is important to stress the collection process, right? And how you're collecting it, how you're storing it, what you're doing with it is important, right? And that's some of the things that we're looking at and many others are as well. And I would add to kind of the convenience piece of things too, even just the storage and treatment of saliva. So you can have one of your, the samples can be sent in the mail, which would not be sure. an option for serum. And I think that speaks again to kind of that access. So like if you think about a community that maybe they can't get into the lab or it's right. an older population or young children having that additional option for access is very, very intriguing. No, absolutely. So how is TCAN, you know, focusing in this area, you know, for the future, right? I know you guys are doing a lot of work to stay on top of 
best practices and, and research trends. Maybe give us a little insight into like what you're seeing there and some of the things you're doing um, for the future. <laughs> Thank you. Of course, for saliva, we have so many plans. We have, as Kat also said, a quite an exhaustive portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> we don't only have steroid hormones, but we have also many other analytes we are interested in or even measure. But of course, we also have a product development team and they are working to kind of see, because it's user-driven also, what they want to have also available for saliva. So we are always on the hunt. So this is very popular for serum. Can we also have a test for saliva? And then it's basically also comes down what you mentioned before. Um, is there a correlation between the free fraction, as we learned now, in saliva and serum? And this is a very important aspect because you want to make sure that these two things are comparable. Right. It's not always the case. So we also wanted to develop certain essays for saliva, but then saw, okay, there's no correlation. Even you can measure it in saliva. So we abandoned this. And I don't know if we can say that as well. We have big plans to kind of not move away. We're still an immunoassay company, but we also want to explore other techniques because sometimes what we want to measure is very low in concentration and we need very sensitive methods sure awesome yes <laughs> adding more tools to the tool belt yes absolutely there's so many new technologies <laughs> coming out today right both in the lab and at home right i think it's fascinating i'm so glad to hear that you're doing work in that area yes uh, you, one of the things i thought was interesting you mentioned to me um, earlier was that you guys often go to the the ispne conference right and you know, the International Society of Psychoneuroendocrinology, right? So certainly a mouthful, right? No pun intended. <laughs> Tell me more about that and how you're leveraging that to understand the future of the market. Kate and I attended last year together for the first time in Chicago. This year it will be in London. So for us, this was really new, but we have quite a history of going there every year. And I think this was amazing. It's one of few, maybe the only one, so heavily focusing on saliva as a matrix okay. and also to see what is happening in research, what are they measuring, why are they measuring, what are the topics. That was so interesting. Okay. And this is a very tight-knit community, so people know each other. So yeah, it was really nice atmosphere. After talks, people discussed so much. It was really nice. Right. Kat, you liked it as well, right? <laughs> I did. I mean, I enjoy learning about stuff like that. And I think the intersection between research, where it is, where it's going, and I really found it really fascinating to kind of see that intersection between the clinical side of things and then also psychology. So looking at like that more preventative. So like, say you have a community that's under a lot of stress, maybe it's in a more urban area and kind of looking at how do you get True. to the underlying cause? How do you measure it? And are there ways to kind of roll things back or improve it or like the health of mothers and children? And like, it was really fascinating to me to hear what people get excited about and then what they've been finding out. That's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that. I think what was also interesting is I expected to see a lot of people doing research on with cortisol because it's so established, but there were so many talks about women's health. They focus quite a lot of, on that okay. and also 
to track data. So a lot of people are also not only having fitness tracker, but also use other devices to kind of know about their cycle and uh, what is going on. The aura ring, can I say that? <laughs> it's also a thing. <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that, right? Because you mentioned tracking different things about your health. There's certain wearable devices that exist today, and but there's also ways versus collecting with your saliva as an example. I think complementary methods to get different information about what's going on on with your body. Definitely. Who's not tracking their steps nowadays? This is definitely something that, that I'm seeing and hearing a lot more about is just the access to information you have and to help you make better decisions about, about where you're headed. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you don't want to see how low or high they right. are, where you're like, how many rings am I closing today? Is, right? is Bobby, my friend, beating me today? Oh, no. <laughs> Is there any other thoughts or advice you'd offer us as we close out today's episode? I would challenge researchers, individual people in their healthcare journey and labs to think about, is this application something that I can use? Is this something that will help myself or my patients or what our goals are? Because mm -hmm. I think we will only continue to see people and businesses trying to close the gap between the patients or consumers and whatever, like the consumer to business gap. I think for me, I'm really happy to see that trend that people are very interested in their own health and they are curious about certain biomolecules they want to measure if they are like uh, either athletes or if they want to get pregnant so that traditional medicine is not offering everything which is out there, but the wellness healthcare is also there and can support them if they feel like they are misunderstood by their physician. Okay. They can also try if what they are feeling is validated, if they are checking certain things. I think this is what I'm happy to see that people try to get educated about their health, that they are more interested. Right. I definitely am fascinated by that trend, right? And just what's available to you today. But listen, Kat, Diana, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It's clear that your passion for science and saliva and how you apply it to women's health and the evolving healthcare space is really outstanding. I'm grateful for what you're both doing and what you share with us today. Thank you. And if you want to learn more about Kat and Diana's work or talk to them about the future of saliva in your lab, we'll post a link to their website, this episode's show notes, which you can find on our podcast site, www.spititoutpodcast.com. Thanks for listening to the Spit It Out podcast. I'm your host, Avi Robbins. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on our journey to raise awareness about saliva diagnostics, the future of healthcare, and hear stories from some really awesome industry and academic leaders. 